So good morning, everyone, and thank you, Ruth, and thank you, Tashina, for leading us in, in, in the presence of the Lord. We be, today we begin a series on the book of James. So we'll be camping out in the book of James for a while. We may be there until as way back as November, looking at James, going through it chapter by chapter, paragraph by paragraph, verse by verse, looking at specific words, looking at James's encouragement and instructions, and then hearing what God is saying to us as individuals and as a church. So the, the theme that I'll be working from for this entire series so far is what kind of person is this? What kind of person is this? The topic that I chose, what kind of person is this, is influenced by the question asked of Jesus in Matthew 8, verse 27. What kind of man is this? Jesus and his disciples were in a boat on the lake when a furious storm arose without warning. As the waves swept over the boat, the disciples panicked, but Jesus was fast asleep. They had gotten, they had seen his miracles, they had seen his, his healings, but they were unprepared for what they were undergoing. Jesus kept sleeping. They awoke him and asked, and immediately he rebuked the waves and it became completely calm. The disciples asked each other, what kind of man is this? In looking at the question asked of Jesus, it is fair to say that he, has, he was no ordinary man. He was single-minded in his devotion to God. He trusted in and believed in God, and he saw trial as an opportunity to produce joy. As we go through the book of James today, as we go through the book of James for this month and for the month of November, let us keep in mind this same question. What kind of person is James calling you and I to be? What kind of man are you or what kind of woman are you to be? So who is James? According to Matthew 13, 55 and Mark 6, verse 3, James is one of the half-brothers of Jesus. Throughout Jesus' ministry, James didn't believe in him. John 7, 3 to 5 tells us that John did, James didn't believe in Jesus. He rejected him as the Messiah, Messianic, Messianic, Messianic God, Messianic God, who came and scholars believe that it bordered on genuine hostility towards Jesus. Mark 3, 20 to 21. James was not numbered amongst those who left all at the outset to follow Jesus. Neither was he among the curious crowds who were amazed at Jesus' teaching, healings, and miracles. Yet, when the disciples were gathered together to wait on the promised Holy Spirit, James was amongst them. And you can see that in Acts 1 verse 14, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 7, and Galatians 1 verse 19. James was recognized as the pillar of the Christian community in Jerusalem. And he played a significant role in, in the Jerusalem church in Acts 12, 17, Acts 15, verses 1 to 29, Galatians 2, 9, and in James 1, 1. 
Because of his reputation of piety and righteousness, he was known as James the Just and James the Righteous. Just giving you a background of James. So before we get into the meat of it, you want to know this man who is encouraging us. You want to know about this man who, who wrote this epistle or wrote this letter. So what could have caused James to have such a drastic change from one who did not believe in Jesus, one who was hostile to the ministry of Jesus, one who was never there with Jesus from the outset, one who did not forego his riches and follow Jesus. He was not even there in the, in the majority of Jesus' teachings and healing and miracles. So what could have caused such a man to bring about such a change? According to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 77, Jesus appeared to James after his resurrection, then to all the apostles. Notice, he appeared first to James. Jesus made himself known to someone who didn't believe in him. Someone who didn't have faith in him. This single encounter erased all the objections and doubts of Jesus being the hoped for Messiah in James's mind. We read that James was mastered in approximately AD 62, just for those of us who need to know the background. So the epistle of James is written by James. First he says, he identifies himself and he says, I am a servant of God and a servant of Jesus Christ. Notice, it is, it, 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 James is probably the oldest book of the New Testament, written as early as AD 45. And when you read James, you see how it mirrors Jesus' Sermon on the Mount teaching in Matthew 5 to 7. It is the ultimate connection between faith and works. James wrote to encourage Jewish believers scattered among the nations, living in hostile surroundings and being tempted and being tried and, 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 and going through all manner of difficult circumstances. The epistle of James, unlike the epistle of Paul, does not address a specific problem. So when you read Paul's problem, Paul is answering a question or is responding to a behavior or a problem within the community. In James's epistle, that's not the, the story. Instead, he's, he's, he's giving wisdom to all Christians and living, living in difficult times. It therefore means that any and every Christian community, including you and I, can benefit from the wisdom of the epistle of James. James called his readers to be a different kind of people whose faith is put in action. They endure in the midst of trials. They call upon God's wisdom. They bridle their tongues. They pursue a life of holiness by caring for the orphans and widows. They do not show favoritism and produce fruit in keeping with their faith in God. According to James 2.17, a faith that does not produce real life change is a faith that is worthless. So what kind of person are you and I to be? From the book of James, we, we, we hear James echoing his, 
over and over to us, continue to grow in your faith. Because the proof of your faith in God is a changed life expressed in how we live. We can't say we have faith in God, yet our lifestyle and our conduct and our perspective and our outlook and our mindset differs from what we say. We can't say we believe we have faith in God, yet the way we relate, relate to others, how we treat others, how we respond to others, how we cause others, we, how we, we are a stumbling block in the way of others. We can't say we, we have faith in God. We can't say we have faith in God unless the way we, unless it is, it, it is expressed in a changed life in how we live, how we relate to others and how we do the work of the kingdom of God daily. So the overview of the book of James that I want us to be looking at in chapter one, James provides wisdom for those of us who need to learn how to confidently stand. In, in chapter two, he shows us how to compassionately serve. In chapter three, he highlights how we are to carefully speak. In chapter four, he reveals how we are to contritely submit. In chapter five, he offers ideas on how we are to concerningly or caringly share. Genuine faith in God, God influences all of these actions. And so this week, we want to begin by looking at James 1 from verses 1 to 8, where James is calling us to confidently stand. James begins his letter by identifying himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What I, what, what I notice is that not only did James say, I'm a servant of God, but the same James who did not believe in Jesus, the same James who was hostile to the teaching of Jesus, now says to his audience, to his readers, I am a servant of Jesus. Not only am I a servant of God, but I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. In identifying that he's a servant, James is all showing that he's wholeheartedly devoted and dedicated in his faith to doing what God has calling him to do and to be a follower of Jesus Christ. James encourages believers to confidently stand because faith perseveres. Notice what I said? Faith perseveres. Faith does not give up. Faith does not abandon ship. Faith does not quit. Faith perseveres. There is a difference between faith and belief. James 2, James 2 9 tells us that even demons believe there is one God and shudder. And though the demons had an accurate belief about Jesus, they lack faith in Jesus as Lord and King of the world. So if you and I say we have faith in God, we have to do more than what the demons do. They believe and shudder. They believe and, 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 and they, are, they, 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 they are amazed. They are in awe. They, 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 when, they, when, when they see the power of God, they know that God is real. They know because they believe. 
But what they don't have is faith in God. So you and I, believers of Christ, our life must express something different, must profess something different from what the demons are demonstrating. We must move beyond belief that causes us to shudder. Faith must persevere. That's my first claim. For you and I to confidently stand as believers of, of, of Jesus Christ, our faith must persevere because trials are opportunities to produce pure joy. In James, in James, in James chapter 1, verse 2, James, James says, consider it pure joy. When, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. That's the NIV version. The NLT version says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Consider it a sheer gift when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Consider it nothing but joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you fall into various trials. Over and over and over, we are, we hear, we are hearing um, James say to us, consider it. See it as an opportunity. So what are the trials James is telling us about? James is speaking to us about the testings that will come, the challenges that will come, the sufferings that will come, the hardships and afflictions and the difficulties that will come that human beings experience in life. Notice, James does not say, if you face trials. James says, whenever you face trials. Notice what he didn't say also. He didn't say trial, which would have meant that is a one-time thing. No, it's a trials of many kinds. So what James is saying to you today, the trial may be that. In, the trial may be the loss of a loved one. Tomorrow, the trial may be your sickness. The other day, the, the trial may be the loss of a job. The next time, it may be the loss of a child. It may be something. James is saying there are so many trials that the believer in Christ will face. Not if, whenever. James is saying that there are various types of trials and they are bound to happen. They are inevitable. Trials must come. But whenever they come, rather than seeing them as solely negative experiences, James says, see them as opportunities to profit. See them as opportunities that can produce great joy. Turn your hardships into times of learning. So what is this great joy or pure joy that James is talking about, that we are to see our trials as opportunities to produce pure joy? Pure joy is genuine, authentic feeling of contentment and delight that comes from within. It is not dependent on external circumstances. It is not dependent on material possessions. It is not dependent on fleeting pleasures. It is associated with an inner peace and calm, a sense of well-being and a profound sense of fulfillment. 
pure joy is often accompanied by a deep sense of gratitude for the simple things in life. Ruth started out this morning by saying, give thanks for life. The simple things in life, it's never about us paying bills. Joy don't come because you can pay your bills. Joy don't come because you have a job. Joy comes for the simple things in life. Joy comes often arise when individuals feel a sense of purpose or find meaning in their experiences or actions never dependent on external circumstances. So joy has nothing to do with your bank account. It has nothing to do with the clothes you have or the food that you're about to eat after church. Joy is that inner delight and contentment that comes with peace and calm and that can only be given and only experienced by those who know God and consider trials as joy. In verses three to four, James explains the reason for considering trials as joy. He says, faith perseveres when our faith is tested, the perseverance is developed and it makes us mature and complete. Imagine without the testing of our faith, you and I will never develop perseverance. We will never know what it is to endure. Without the testing of our faith, you and I will never know what it is like to be mature and complete, lacking nothing. This morning, when the thought of lacking nothing came to my mind, I started to cry. Because I realized that the lacking nothing that God is talking about is not lacking nothing in terms of my bills being paid. It's lacking the peace and the contentment and the delight and the fulfillment and the inner joy that comes from being intimate with him. He says, he, 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 he said, he said, therefore the trials that you and I face are designed to develop perseverance. God knows what you can endure and he knows what I can endure. And he may never give you and I the same things to endure because he knows that we are designed differently. But he knows that the pathway that you and I will take individually, that the, the things that, are, that we will meet along the journey are there because God wants to make us mature. If you reflect upon the last hardship that you face what has it done to you enduring difficult circumstances strengthens one's faith and forms one's character tough times teach us how to persevere but it can only happen when we have the right perspective, the right outlook. James says, when trials come, shift your perspective from viewing them solely as negative experiences. You and I know that when we have a problem, the first thing we start to say, we, we start to cry out and it must be Satan and we start to pray against Satan and we start to speak and we start to do so and we start to complain and we start to do all manner of things. James says, no, when trials come, Shift your perspective from viewing them as solely negative. 
See them for what they can produce in your life and the purpose they can fulfill. This may seem counterintuitive, especially because trials are associated with difficulties, but James suggests that they can lead to positive outcomes. Some of you may know that I am working on a house that we're going to be having church. And I pray and I pray and I pray and I ask God for the money because there are so many things that need to be done into that house. We need to do new cupboards. We needed to change out, tear down drywall because the walls were, 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 were rotting. Tiles were falling off the, off, off, off the wall. Different things were happening in the house and the carpet was needed to be changed. All of those things needed to be done. And I've been praying and I've been praying and I've been praying and I've been asking. The windows needed to change. And I've been praying and I've been praying and I've been asking the Lord for the money. Lord, send money. Lord, oh, I went to the Lord. I said, Lord, you know that I will work. If you give me two jobs, you know I will do it. I'll work by night. I'll work and I'll work by day. I'll work. Give me work. And I said, God, you know, I'll do anything. Provide the work so I can work to, and get the money to fix this house. The Lord did not provide the money how I expected him to provide it. The first thing he did, he increased my credit limit. And so all I could do is to do the thing that the credit card can purchase. But what God did for me is that he gave me the assistance that I needed to do the physical work. So the gentleman who gave me the estimate of the contractor to do the work, God opened the door that he came and he gave me, and he's still giving me two or three hours per day. And not only did he, is he doing that, but he's showing me how to do the work. Also, a friend of mine came and she, she gave me a, what, a week. Then she came back and she gave me a day and she showed me how to do some things. And that when I look back now, and I, when I look at the house and I said to myself, when I go into that shower, it is the longest shower I will take because not only is the shower brand new, but God allowed me to use my hands and to retile that shower. God allowed me to use my hands and to, to help to demolish those drywalls and erect new drywalls. God allowed me to use my hands where, you know, I am, I, I am repairing and remodeling and refurbishing the old cupboards and to give them a new, a brand new look. God is saying to me, and he has said to me, and I've spent so many time before him crying, looking at what he has done. I've said, God, if I keep my mind in a particular way and do not change my outlook, I will miss what you are doing. Because when I asked for money, what you did, you gave me help. When I asked for money, you gave me the ability to do. When I asked for money, what did you do? You showed me that you can do it. I have so many tools right now at the house that I'm working with. All loaned to me by one person saying to me, use the tools and do what you need to do. That is God. If I had sat down and kept my focus on the fact that God did not provide the money how I wanted it to provide, to be provided, I would not have started. If when the help 
was offered to me. And I decided that no, I don't want to take it because I'm waiting on God to provide the money because I want this. I want to get a contractor to come in and to do it. I would still be where I am right now. My sisters and my brothers, if we do not change our outlook and our perspective on things, we're going to see our trials as negative rather than, that, that, than an opportunity to produce joy or an opportunity to develop our perseverance and to make us mature and complete. Romans 5, 3 to 5 tells us that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character and character hope, and hope does not disappoint. Trials can be challenging to an individual's trust, challenging to our belief and our commitment to God. And in times of, of suffering and hardship, we tend to question God. But James says, no, do not question God. Change your perspective. Change your outlook. Without trials, to test your faith, you cannot know the depth of your character. You and I will never know who we are, what we are able to do, what our faith in God looks like until we are tried. As believers, we tend to make claims about our faith in God, but our actions in hard times contradict every claim we make. We say, Lord, we worship you. We give ourselves away. Lord, we honor you. You are all that we need. But when problems come, we start to question. We start to doubt. We start to be tossed to and fro. We say one thing, but we live another. We profess faith in God, but we doubt his provision. We doubt his healing. We doubt his deliverance and his restoration. When we profess our faith in God and he does not show up on our timeline, what do we do? We question, is God for real? Is God real? We quote scripture that we have memorized, but we do not practice its truth. Without trials to test our faith, we would be immature, incomplete, impatient, and spiritually underdeveloped. It is when we are tested that our conduct and response in the trial reveal our character, reveal the areas in which we need to go and what we believe about God. James encourages believers to allow perseverance to finish its work. Endure the trial and let it accomplish what God intended to accomplish. Don't, don't, don't abort ship. Don't give up. Don't just jump to the next thing and move on to the next thing or the next place or the next thing. James says, stay in the trial and let it accomplish what God intended it to accomplish. Instead of complaining about your struggles, See your struggles as opportunities for growth. See your struggles as God's way to develop maturity. The proof of our faith is a changed life that expresses what we believe in how we behave. I will repeat. The proof of your faith and my faith is a changed life that expresses what we believe in how 
we behave? Do you, do you still respond to a trial now the way you did five years ago? Do you know of anyone who five years ago, the same way they respond to a problem is the same way they are responding now? That's a person who have not learned to persevere. That's a person who is not mature. That's a person who is not complete. That's a person who have not learned to live and to understand that in God there is no lack. According to James 2.14, it is not enough to talk the Christian faith. We must live it because genuine, authentic faith produces good deeds. How have your actions been mirroring the faith you proclaim? How have your outlook been mirroring the faith you proclaim? How has your perspective been mirroring the faith you proclaim that you have? Our third point and final point this morning is God generously gives wisdom in times of trial. In verses 5 to 8, James transitions to having wisdom in the midst of trial. He says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Ask the generous God who gives it to you liberally without finding fault. But when you ask, he says, you must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blowing and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all he does. There is no loyalty in that person who is tossed to and fro. There is, that un, that there is no stability in that person who is tossed to and fro. James understands that believers will find themselves in difficult situations where they lack the understanding and the wisdom to make the right decisions. And so what James does, James encourages believers to pray in difficult times. He says, ask the God, ask the generous God who gives wisdom without finding fault. Ask God for the wisdom that you need to deal with that particular or that specific situation. And you will generously supply the wisdom needed to guide your right decision. You're having a problem with X, ask God for the wisdom to deal with X. You have a problem with Y, Ask God for the problem, the, the wisdom to deal with Y, because maybe the problem, the wisdom for, to deal with X is not the same wisdom to deal with Y. Because God knows. James gives the prerequisite to receiving wisdom from God. He says, when you ask, ask with unwavering faith in God. Unwavering faith demonstrates confidence in God. It demonstrates dependency in God. And on the other hand, wavering faith and doubting depict lack of, lack of confidence in God. Belief in God is insufficient. As I said earlier, the demons believe and shudder. Belief in God is insufficient to confidently stand in the times of trials. We need faith. James warns against double-mindedness. 
It says a man or woman who does not put complete trust in God alone sways between allegiance to God and allegiance to the worldly ways of doing things. I heard Ruth alluded to that this morning, where she said we have to either be on God's side or we, we have to either depend on God or we depend on ourselves, but we can't go from God to self. We can't go from God to the world. Unwavering faith and doubt shows that the individual is not convinced that God's way is the best or that God cares and God can. James said the person who is unwavering in their faith and doubting is the person who is unable to receive from God. So what is James saying to us this morning? He said, in the face of trials, suffering, adversity, and difficult times, how do you respond? Do you exercise unwavering faith in God alone? Or do you waver be between, this, the, the, you're wavering depending on the situation. So depending on this, if I know somebody who I can ask, let me run to them and ask them. Or do you go to God first? Do you have a positive outlook or do you grumble and complain when the trials and the, and, and the difficult circumstances come your way? The whenevers that, that James talked about, the whenever trials come, what is your outlook? Do you see God's wisdom being assured that his response is best for you? Or do you seek it to seek to do it your way? In the midst of trials, what do you do? Something happening and you don't like what's happening and you, you, can't, you, you don't know how to, to fix it. What do you do? Do you seek God? Or you go to plan B or you go to try to do it your own way? James said the kind of person that he's calling us to be is the kind of person who does not just talk the talk, but one who walk the walk. James said the kind of person that he's calling us to be is one whose faith perseveres and who believe in God are strengthened in the crucible of trials. James said the kind of person that mirrors the very kind of person that Jesus is, is the one who recognizes that trials are bound to come. But if they change their outlook, if they change their perspective regarding trials and continue to persevere in faith. They will become spiritually mature, complete, and lack nothing in this life. The kind of person James is calling you to be is one that views trials not solely as a negative experience, but as an opportunity to produce pure genuine, authentic joy that is not influenced by external circumstances, material resources, or fleeting pleasures. James says, the kind of person that I'm calling NLH members and visitors to be are those who recognize that something good can come from difficult circumstances if I change my mindset. The kind of person James is calling you and I to be are those who seek God for wisdom to respond in our trials. 
We know that the answer lies within him. We know that he has the better perspective. We know that he knows the best way. The kind of person that James is calling you and I to be is one who is single-minded and committed wholeheartedly in our devotion to God. For in him, we find the wisdom that leads to life and maturity. So this morning, I want you to look. I want you to search. I want you to examine and be introspective. What kind of person am I, am I this morning? And in, in, in what area of my life is James calling me to be that, that kind of person that looks similar to Jesus? Is he calling you to persevere in your faith? Is he calling you to see that trials are opportunities to produce great joy? Is he calling you to see that though, though trials come, they, they really only come to test your faith so that you will develop in perseverance and they will make you complete and mature and lack nothing? Are these trials coming so that you can seek God and, and grow in intimacy with him because you now have to seek him for wisdom? What is James saying to you this morning? Father, we thank you, Father, for the words and encouragement of James. You, you God, through James. God, we are mindful that James says, Trials will come, many kinds. So today, the, the trial may look different tomorrow. It may look different next year. But they are bound to come because they are inevitable. We, it's as if you are saying, I, can, you, I cannot walk this Christian walk without trials. That's what you are saying to us. We cannot walk without trials. But if we change the way we see them, Father, they don't have to be negative. We can see the good that can come from them. Father, may we be a people whose outlook, whose mindset, whose perspective are changed. So, Father, may we be so different from the demons who only believe, but may we build our faith in you, knowing that you can, you care, and you will do. Father, may we be that kind of people that you're looking for. May we be that kind of people when you search the, the whole world over, you will find men and women in NLH who are the kind of people whose faith will persevere no matter what. Father, this morning we pray that not only will we talk the talk, but that we will walk the walk. We give you thanks this morning, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. We just heard the word.